This is the IDP After Show. Is the AFC West the most stacked division in all of IDP? I'm so excited to break down all of the players on these teams, so let's jump right in. I'm Evan Ronda, your host today, contributor for the IDP show and footballguys.com, and the host of the IDP Game Theory Podcast. And today I'm joined by David Kelly, contributor for IDP Guys and author of one of my favorite articles of all time. David, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing all right. I've had a very long week, though, so I'm very tired already, even though it's only Wednesday. But um, I am very happy to get to do a podcast because I don't get to do these very often. Yeah, it's what what a podcast to do, too. Breaking down the AFC West, there are so many exciting guys in this division, and you have a lot of really cool information that I know the listeners are going to appreciate You know, hearing and, and understanding a little bit more about what kind of the range of outcomes is for these players because I think one thing is knowing the names of these guys and having a rough idea of what their value is but I think there's so much more to understanding who players are than just you know what their number could be on a trade calculator or how they rank on a ranking sheet I feel like really understanding hey this is a general range of what we can expect from this player is a lot more helpful and so uh, I, you know, we kind of talked about this ahead of time. We're not going to hop on this episode and be like, this is the linebacker three in Dynasty. Um, there is a time and a place for that, but it is not now and it is not here. I think it's, you know, going to be much helpful, much more helpful for these listeners to kind of just hear, you know, what what the situation is for these guys. I think that's going to help make them a lot more informed and able to to make them a lot more wise fantasy managers. And so the first team we're starting off with here is Denver. And they're actually undergoing quite a few changes from last season. So what is, uh, what's going on with this defense here? Well, Denver, we've got a new head coach for Sean Payton, but we also have a new defensive coordinator with Vance Joseph, who's moved over from Arizona. Um, one of the things I like to reference with these teams is John Macri's ranking of uh, teams by linebacker tackle efficiency. So last year, Denver was I believe, third best defense as far as linebacker friendly coverage is called, and this year he has them as projected as the second best defense. Um, other than that, we've got some info on kind of splits of like how often they use one linebacker, how often they use two linebackers, although Arizona was a little funny last year because we had Isaiah Simmons running around as like kind of a linebacker, kind of safety, playing a lot in the slot. Um, and Denver doesn't have a player like that, so it's going to be interesting to see how fast Joseph runs this defense this year. Yeah, man, I'm excited. There was a lot of value to be had in the Cardinals defense last year, just as far as giving players snaps. And I think that there's going to be some good value here on this Denver defense too. And I think there's a little bit of ambiguity, perhaps maybe farther down the depth chart. But I think what we ought to do here is just kind of go position by position, talk about the defensive line, then talk about the linebackers, then talk about the defensive backs. So let's uh let's go ahead and start it off here with the defensive line. Obviously, they added Zach Allen over from the Cardinals as he joined Vance Joseph. But who else do they have going on here? Yeah. So and what I'm going to do for this is I'm going to go through guys and kind of list off like where they go roughly in our IDP best ball drafts, just to get people just to give people an idea of like where these guys are going. 
Um, so Zach Allen is the top defensive lineman drafted in Denver. He comes off at about uh, defensive line 50. Um, and he had a great season for Arizona last year. He was a great player if he were in a defensive tackle required league. Um, played a lot of snaps. Kind of a low pressure rate, though. I saw that he had an 8% pressure rate last year. Um, so I'm not totally sure what I want to do with him in that at that range. He goes around guys like Khalil Max, he goes around Josh Uche, uh Justin Houston's in that range. Uh Von Miller goes just after him. Jack Barrett goes just after him. So there's a few guys in there that I really like as having more upside this year. Uh Mac if he's healthy. Uche was really good last year. Shaq Barrett if he comes back healthy from his Achilles should be a pretty good player. Um so I don't know. I think at this point I'm not super wild on Zach Allen. I don't think I've drafted him yet in any of our best balls. What about what have you done with him so far? Yeah, I I'm right about there with you. I don't dislike him as a player. I'm looking for guys that are dual eligible because I really do feel like it is just an absolute cheat code having guys eligible in the defensive line and in the linebacker range. And so I'm typically going somewhere else at the range that Zach Allen goes. Not to say that I necessarily dislike him. It's more I'm I'm more drawn towards other players that tend to fall in that area. Yeah, so the next two guys that I was going to bring up for Denver were Baron Browning and Randy Gregory. So Baron Browning was one of those strange players last year that had he was really productive as a pass rusher as far as like a pressure rate, win rate, and things like that, um, but just didn't get a ton of sacks, and I think he got banged up a couple times. Um, so he goes a little bit after Zach Allen. He goes around DL 69. He's like an 11th round pick in our best balls. Um, and Randy Gregory goes even later than him. So he's coming off at defensive line 83. Um, he was a player who played really well in Dallas two years ago. He played pretty well in Denver last year on like a very, very small number of snaps because then he got hurt. Um, but I actually like both these guys and I've been trying to pick them up sort of in middle rounds of drafts. Um, because I think there's a potential here for both of them that if they stay healthy and they play the whole season, that they can they can wildly outperform these ADPs. Um, I guess the one thing that's worth noting with Brown is he did have meniscus surgery right around the time the Broncos signed Frank Clark. So we'll have to wait and see how far along he comes with that and whether he's going to be ready for week one. Yeah, and if he's not ready for week one, there's a very real chance that he gets placed on the pup list and misses the first four weeks. So it definitely important to note. I, I think it's it is interesting. I like what you were saying with the value here with Baron Browning and Randy Gregory. I don't really believe that Frank Clark is much of anything. I think he's pretty washed. I think they just brought him in to be a depth piece. And both of those other two edge rushers, I think the reason why they're not going higher is because they both had injuries last season that kept them off the field. And so they didn't score a ton of fantasy points. But what managers are forgetting, I would assume, is that when they were on the field, they were actually quite productive. And so if we assume that they get back on the field and play more snaps because they're healthier, that's going to lead to a lot more points scored. So I totally agree with you there. I'm excited for their value. Trying to pick them up when I can, but some guy named DJ Keltown keeps sniping them from me. So I'm not sure how many shares of them I'm going to end up with. Uh, how, how about the linebacker position? I know this one's really exciting for some people. And so I, I'm looking forward to to break down the big two names here, but also the rookie that they brought in. Yeah, and I and I like these guys for drafts just because just because Macri has them projected as such a high uh, tackle efficiency 
group. Um, and again, that's just based on like the style of coverages that they call and stuff like that. So like, for example, teams that call a lot of, I think, cover two and cover four, as opposed to like man coverage and things like that, those are better for linebackers in terms of how you, how many tackles you expect them to get. Um, but notwithstanding that, Josie Jewell comes off at linebacker 21 and he is like a fifth round pick right now. Um, and I love him at this ADP because I feel, I really feel like there's a chance that he could finish in the top 12 if he stays healthy all year. Um, and this is another guy like you were talking about with Browning and Gregory that, you know, he has an injury history. So there are people who shy away from him because, because he's been hurt. Um, playing alongside him, Alex Singleton is coming off at linebacker 35. So about 90th in draft. So what is the math on that? That's an eight round pick. Um, but and Singleton's an interesting case because he's always been like hyper efficient in terms of tackles, like way above what you would expect. Um, and at this point, as much as I don't like to bet on guys that have really efficient seasons like that, like at this point, if he keeps doing it, I'm eventually just going to have to draft him. Now, I would guess that he's probably Denver. I'm guessing is going to have like a, a 100% full-time linebacker and an 80% full-time linebacker. So I'm expecting Jewel to be the 100% guy and Singleton to be the 80% guy. Um, and I don't know. What do you think about those two? Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Now, it'll be interesting to see what Vance Joseph does here. Does he use two full-time linebackers? I know Denver last season with a different DC had a bit more of a a 100% and then, you know, a rotational guy split. So maybe we'll get some clarity on that from some camp reports. But if there is, you know, one guy that does play more snaps, it I am almost 100% sure it will be Jewel, like you were saying. And I don't I don't really know how I feel about Singleton. I feel like people are drafting Drew Sanders as if he has a chance to take over Alex Singleton's job. But people are still drafting Alex Singleton as if his job is totally safe. And I'm like, I'm not seeing a value dip on either guy and they can't both be worth where they're going. So I'm having a really hard time taking either of them. Maybe I'll take Josie Jewell, but he's going high enough that I would probably prefer taking defensive linemen in that range just because I feel like the elite guys at that position dry up a little faster. But but that rookie, Drew Sanders, is really exciting. So I, I've been burned by rookies in the past. I don't know if I'm really going to be taking him. But he's at least intriguing enough that we can give him a quick shout out, at least on this episode. Yeah, I'm not as I'm not as wild about Drew Sanders as, as you are. And for me, it's just like third round linebackers tend to not do a whole lot as rookies. Um, and I have this I did not share this with you before we started, but I have this list of third round linebackers who have like done anything as a rookie. So this is what it looks like in terms of who they, what their situations were when they came in. So Fred Warner comes into San Francisco. He gets drafted. Uh, Ruben Foster gets suspended during the summer after he's been drafted. Uh, and Fred Warner ends up starting the season with uh, Brock Coyle, an undrafted free agent who you've never heard of, who played 80% of snaps with Fred Warner in week one, got hurt and then immediately went to IR. Fred Warner plays out the season with Elijah Lee, who's a seventh-round pick. It turns out Fred Warner's awesome. He plays the full year. Reuben Foster comes back from suspension, gets a domestic violence arrest, and the 49ers cut him in season. So there's not a lot there that Fred Warner really had to overcome 
to get a starting spot. Um, Chris Borland further back for the 49ers. He basically comes in because of injury. He only plays 476 snaps, but he throws up a 23% tackle efficiency in his rookie year. So he lets that carry him to like the LB15. Um, Preston Brown for the Bills. He has Kiko Alonso tears ACL in July. Preston Brown doesn't get the starting job. He loses it to Nigel Bradham, who then gets hurt, and then he plays the whole year. So and most of the guys who come in have this kind of thing. The one ex- one exception to that would be Christian Harris. Christian Harris last year started the year on IR, came back, and then immediately replaced Cam Magruja-Hill. But I think with a lot of these third-round linebackers, we tend to look at them and we get really excited. New and rookies, and they have the two draft capital. But I don't see, and even though Alex Singleton has sort of been like, I don't know if you would call him like checkered as far as like, is he a good linebacker or not? Um I don't know if that's enough that we're going to see Drew Sanders play an awful lot this year. I mean, he, he might be a guy that wins the third linebacker spot and then comes in if there's an injury, but I don't know if these guys are really coming in and like running over established veterans. That was powerful. I'm just going to say that. I think it's important to give listeners context because we always get so excited with camp hype and getting really, you know, just looking forward to what these young guys have to offer. But rookie linebackers just do not tend to play. They just, it's it's hard. It's really, really hard. It's like the quarterback of the defense a lot of the time, the amount of responsibilities that these guys have. And I think most teams have kind of caught on to that. You would probably agree in saying that they tend to be hesitant with rolling out these these rookies, especially these rookies that are not Tippity top, you know, first round guys, Devin Lloyd, Jack Campbell, for example. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is also really interesting. Plus, Christian Harris, I mean, beating a comma Grusier Hill is not really an accomplishment per se, as much as I love that Hawaiian legend. But uh, yeah, that team wasn't exactly looking to contend. So that is a, a great point. Maybe managers should be a little bit less excited about Drew Sanders, at least for 2023. Finally, Let's go ahead and talk about the defensive backs because there's one oh, guy yeah. here. Oh yes, go for it. I got two, I got one more thing I want to add to that. But so you talked yeah. about like the early round pick linebackers. Like first round pick linebackers sometimes do pretty well as rookies. Like their hit rate for a top twenty four season as a rookie is about forty percent, which is pretty good um, compared to a lot of other positions. But for those third rounders, the only two guys who finished top twenty four as rookies were Warner and Borland. Um, so I don't know. I because of that, I'm pretty skeptical skeptical about the third-round guys. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you, do you know how old Alex Singleton is? Off the dome, I'm going to guess he is 28. He is turning 30 this year. Ooh. He's, older than, we, he's older than we think because he's a four-year college player. He bounced around practice squads for a year. Then he went to the CFL for three years, and then he came back to the NFL. So he's... He's older than we think, but regardless, like I still like both of these guys and both him and Jewel in drafts. Alex single skill, and that single skill is tackling. Yeah, um, we like it is a good skill that we like. He doesn't get a whole lot of pass rush. Speaking of pass rush, maybe that's where we see Drew Sanders get some playing time. Maybe, but but yeah, as far as you know, getting that tackle efficiency, that is impressive. We will see if he can continue to keep that up. Now for the DBs, obviously there's, you know, Justin Simmons, who everybody loves as one of the better safeties in the league. We can maybe talk about what we expect his usage to be. Um, But they just re-signed 
Who is it that they just resigned? I'm spacing on it already. Kareem, ja- Kareem Jackson. Thank you. Kareem Jackson killing all of my Caden Stearns shares. So let's go ahead and talk about these two guys and perhaps maybe a few other guys on that and on that roster as well at defensive back. Yeah, so Justin Simmons is coming off of the DB18. He's like an 11th round pick. Um, we have seen the defensive backs go a little bit later in drafts, and we saw them last year, um, we can which, which I agree that. with. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't, I don't, that was happening before I wrote that article anyway, but um, I mean, I agree with it. Like, I don't think you should be spending early round picks on defensive back, at least in these best balls with the way that the scoring is and with how deep the position is and how many rounds you can just use to just fill in guys at the end. So I don't have any real strong takes about Simmons, but I was going to talk about the other safety spots. So you mentioned Kareem Jackson coming back. Um, I know some of the Broncos writers that I've been reading leading into this still think that Caden Stearns is going to win that job out of camp. So Caden Stearns is a guy that they liked. He played a little bit last year, and he had his season-ending hip injury in Week 5. Uh, Kareem Jackson has come back on a veterans minimum deal, and I'm not the biggest cap wizard for this, but they basically got a mechanism in the CBA that they can sign veterans, and their charge against the cap is only what like a second or third year player would be instead of what like his full salary is. Um, but they can cut him, and they only have to pay $150,000. So I don't know if it's a lock that Kareem Jackson is gonna take that other safety spot. I think that's something that we'll have to watch as they get into OTAs and into camps to really see like who's worth pitching there. Um, neither of these guys are going particularly high. Like Kane Stearns is like the DB 95 in drafts. His ADP is like 295. So he is, he is available right at the very end. And if you're in like a normal redraft league, he is just not getting drafted. So he's a guy that you can wait to see what happens in week one, week two, and pick them up off the uh, Kareem Jackson is going even later. Part of that was, would have been because he wasn't on a team when our first couple of best balls came off. Um, so yeah, I think both of those guys you can, you can wait on. The other guy who gets drafted is is Patrick Sertain, who comes off as defensive back 41, which is pick 200, so that's fine. He goes around a couple of other interesting guys. He goes around Tyron Matthew. He goes around Trent McDuffie. He goes around Kenny Moore. Uh, he goes right before Desmond King, and I've drafted him a couple times. Like he's he's fine in these best balls where we get so many points for passive defense. I don't mind taking a few corners just because I'm looking for spike weeks, and the corners tend to get a few more passive points. Yeah, I hear you on drafting corners. I love so many of the guys in that range. I love Trent McDuffie, Jaron Kuris, Kenny Moore. Uh, Kyler Gordon, Sidney Brown. I've drafted Sidney Brown in every single draft since the rookie draft has happened, or the NFL draft, I should say, has happened. I love all these safeties in this range because that tends to be right about when I'm ready to start drafting DBs. So I don't know if I've ever drafted a Pat Sertan. I usually get corners like much, much later in my drafts. Like Tredavious White's a great example of like a guy that I'll get at the very, very end, where I still think he's a talented outside cornerback who could get weeks with pass deflections, but he's not going to cost me or at least have the opportunity cost of missing out on a guy that like legitimately could have Jalen Petrie-esque upside in like a Sidney Brown or something. Maybe that's a bit of a hot take, but the fact is he's a rookie and he's playing in the box and I don't really know what's going to happen beyond that, but the fact is 
he's got a chance. I don't need to spend too much time talking about that because this is not an Eagles preview, but I I don't know if I can really justify the Pat Sertan ADP, kind of like the Sauce Gardner ADP, or even the uh, the Derek Stingley ADP, where it's like, I think they're probably just getting bumped up, kind of like the KJ Wright was before with like people who don't really know what they're doing and they just want to draft a, a popular name. But maybe I'm being a little judgy. I'm not entirely sure there. No, that's fine. I think I, I would have to look to see how many times I've drafted them, but that's usually at a point in the draft where I haven't, I've maybe taken one defensive back to that point, so now I'm just trying to fill in with guys, and I don't know, I think he's a good real-life cornerback, and I think that should turn into some like potential for pass breakups and interceptions. Are, are there any other guys on this team that we really feel like mentioning, or are we ready to just jump on into the next one? I think we can go to the next one unless there's someone that you're angling for. You know what? One more. Uh, Jonas Griffith, so he is going off at linebacker 93. I think people forget he won the starting job in Denver last year over Singleton. And what happened last year in Denver was uh, Jewel got hurt and Singleton played, and then Jewel came back, and Singleton went back to the bench. And then we lost Griffith for the year, and Singleton came in and was amazing. So, I mean, I suppose it's possible that he comes in and steals a job from Singleton too, but from some of the writing that I've seen from Broncos writers, like they think it's going to be uh, Singleton and Jewel. Uh, and I would be inclined to agree with them, considering that this new, you know, this new scheme, this new, you know, ownership, I guess I could, yeah, I mean, technically it is a new ownership group, but the new coaching staff, you know, they went out and they re-signed Alex Singleton. So clearly that implies some level of interest in, in having him on the field. Let's go ahead and talk about the Las Vegas Raiders. This team, it's, I mean, there it's studs and duds, I feel like is a good way to describe it. There's, you know, basically like one guy who is just the absolute tippity top of IDP production, maybe one or two other guys, maybe three other guys who are kind of intriguing. And then it's like, it's a barren wasteland. So let's, I guess, kind of give a general rundown for, what this team is as a whole before we jump into the defensive line. Yeah, so with Las Vegas, Patrick Graham's the defensive coordinator who has never really coached a particularly strong defense. And I think this defense was like 31st in EPA per play last year. So, and I, and quite honestly, looking at the step chart, I don't know how they're going to be substantially better than that. Um, but some of the notes that I have on this team is that they do have like a high use, high percentage of single linebacker usage, high percentage of the safeties. Um, Patrick Graham will play high and low safety and have like a box safety compared to most of the rest of the team in this division who play more of a split. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna do a little digging actually while we talk about the defensive line to to see what I can find about how these guys were used last year for the safeties because. I feel like the the general defensive back situation in Las Vegas, just looking at the ADP sheet for best balls, is like they have some of the lowest drafted defensive backs in the entire league with like the highest guy. Well, we'll talk about them. So I'm not going to spoil it. But I mean, most listeners who are kind of keen to to these best ball drafts kind of know where I'm going with it. But obviously, we have the one main guy in Max Crosby on the defensive line. So I don't necessarily think we need to spend too much time on him other than just to sing his praises. Uh, But behind him, it's a little bit more intriguing. So let's go ahead and talk about that defensive line real quick. Yeah, so I don't have a lot to say about Max Crosby either. Uh, we love him. 
he had a hundred pressures two years ago, or in 2021. So I don't know. We saw this breakout coming. Um, he's going off at five in our best ball seat defensive line four. And I don't have a particularly strong argument over any of the top five defensive linemen in those drafts. Like I will just take whoever's there. Um, so I don't know. Max Crosby is good. Um, the only other guys I, I listed down here that I think are worth talking about is we have Tyree Wilson, who is a seventh overall pick. He's coming off right now at defensive line 49. He is right after Zach Allen. He's right before Aaron Browning. Um, I'm not totally sure what to do with him yet because, I mean, and, and, I, and I think he's a good dynasty pick. Look, I th- like, first top 16 defensive linemen do really well, especially compared to, like, the counterparts in the back half of the first round. Um, but they still have about like a 30 or so percent hit rate for a top 24 season in their rookie year, which is not as high as like, say the linebackers. Um, so needless to say, I haven't drafted him yet. And then Chandler Jones, I don't have a lot to say about him either. He's going off at defensive line 70. I haven't drafted him at all. Um, He's not someone who I think has much upside left, so I'm not particularly interested in him. And that's starting to be into a range where I'm trying to fill out linebackers anyway. Yeah, I I don't know if I'm really going to be touching most of these rookies. The only rookie that I've maybe taken once, I guess as far as like defensive line and linebackers are concerned anyways, is is Jack Campbell just because he fell super late. Obviously, I'll take Sidney Brown. I'll take Jair Brown. I'll take Jartavius Martin. I'll take Emmanuel Forbes. I mean, I can keep going there, Joey Porter Jr., but... Um, I, as far as, you know, linebackers and defensive line go, I'm probably just staying away from these guys. Cause I think it takes them a little bit of time to ramp up, especially a guy like Tyree Wilson who needs some development. But I mean, I'm also really not too interested in Chandler Jones either. Here, here's a question for you, I guess. Do you think Chandler Jones, do you think last year was just, you know, kind of a dip or do we, do we really think he's basically washed at this point? Um, I don't really know either. I mean, he's such a good player throughout his career that it's possible that he bounces back this year. Yeah, and and maybe that's why he's being drafted where he's drafted. I mean, it's not super high, but clearly there's some assumptions coming from the market. At least some people see his name and still believe that he has some juice left, or at least has a, you know the ability to get a spike week here and there for best ball because he's not like totally dead. He's not you know Frank Clark all the way down the ADP sheet. Even Randy Gregory's going super late. I think Randy Gregory's a lot more, I guess, less washed maybe than you know Chandler Jones is. So he's intriguing, and maybe it's just a snap volume kind of thing. Uh, I'll, I'll wait to talk about the defensive back usage when we get there, but let's talk about the linebackers. We have one guy who's a former Steelers legend and another guy who is legendary name quality. So let's go ahead and, and break down these two guys real quick. Yeah, so I'm going to start with the line Diablo. So he's going off right now at the linebacker 39. He was the play caller last year, and from what I've seen, he's projected to be the play caller again this year. He was pretty much playing 100% of snaps to start the year last year, and then he got hurt midseason, and then he was done. Um, and he's actually going at a pretty good range if you look at some of the linebackers around him. Like there's a few guys that you know, that have upside that we like, but not necessarily people that like we feel like are for sure playing every snap like Diablo might. So like some of the guys going ahead of them, like, you know, Brian Asamoah we like, but I don't know if we really have any indication if he's going to play full time or if he's going to be like an 80% guy. 
Uh, Drew Tranquil, we'll talk about him later. I'm really not sure what they're doing with the second linebacker in Kansas City. Um, Christian Harris is up there. So I, don't, I actually really like Diablo here. I don't know if I've picked him yet, um, but he's fine. And then the other Steelers linebacker that's projected to play a fair bit is Robert Spillane, who you'll have to fill me in on him a little bit more because you're the Steelers guy. But I had the idea that he was like a sub-packaged dime linebacker in but I don't know yeah, if I have. You're correct. He he was he was like the third string guy, but you know they they struggled with linebackers so much last season. I mean they had Miles Jack and Devin Bush. That's not exactly a strong room. But before, when they had a little bit more faith in their linebacker room, he played significantly less and only came in as a backup. Um, so you know he's he's flashed. He's you know gritty. First one in, last one out, bring your lunch pail to work kind of guy. Uh, he had that one big massive tackle on Derrick Henry a few years back that everybody remembers him for. So I don't necessarily think he's, you know, I don't want to talk him down. I don't want to say he's not good, but I don't necessarily think he's the kind of a linebacker that you bring in to like bolster your linebacker room to the point where you really have confidence in it. More so just because you need a warm body in there who isn't going to be at a liability. Like a, a team bringing in, like like Cody Barton, for example, I feel like he's probably at a Cody Barton level, maybe a little better than that, because, you know, the Washington Commanders brought in Cody Barton to be a guy who's probably going to start, probably see some snaps. So hopefully that's not rude of me to kind of make that comparison there. Like, I don't think he's bad. I don't think he's good. I think he's going to play some snaps and get some work. I do love Divine Diablo. I'm trying to find my exposure here. It's probably going to take a little longer to pull up, but I've drafted him quite a few times. Because just based on that range of where he goes, he's there's like a big tier of linebackers at the bottom of the will probably play a full-time role and be productive with the snaps that they get tier. And I think Divine Diablo is kind of the start of that where people kind of stop taking linebackers for whatever reason. I don't really know how to describe it. I just know that I like where he's going in drafts and I tend to dip my toes into the linebacker waters at the point where he's generally one of the best linebackers left on the board. And he's going behind a bunch of guys that I don't know are going to play a whole lot, or at least like I don't have as much confidence that they're going to play a lot. Like I feel pretty good that Divine Diablo is going to play all the snaps. So even if he isn't particularly efficient, he's at least playing all the snaps and he's not that expensive. Um, You talked about, you talked about Spillane. Spillane's going off at linebacker 76. So he plays, any significant amount of snaps at all, he probably crushes that ADP too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we'll have to see. I mean, Luke Masterson is the other one there. So he was the one who took over uh, late in the year when people got hurt. I think he's a UDFA. I don't know if it's for this year. I should not guess on uh, where people actually got drafted in KC. Actually did get drafted by somebody, but uh, do we <laughs> Uh, no, he has a UDFA 2022 UDFA. So, I don't know. I mean, there's no one else really on the step charts, so those are probably the three guys. So, I mean, Masterson, I would it shock you if he showed up in waiver wire articles throughout the year? Like, I don't know. I mean, he showed up on the waiver wire articles for me, yeah. So, I feel like I feel like that would probably have to be from an injury, though. I don't know if he beats out either of the other two guys above him. It would be an injury, but I mean, 
they happen. And, and linebacker is going to be that rotating game where somebody's going to get hurt, and then you're going to have somebody come in and fill in for 80-plus percent of snaps. Yeah. I think one of the most powerful weapons an IDP manager can have, like obviously, okay, maybe not the most powerful, but once you read a cert, a reach a certain level of, of competition and your league mates, more importantly, reach that same level of competition, you need to find that next edge. So obviously, like, knowing player value and knowing all the starting rosters and everything, like, that's important. And if you know that better than the rest of your league does, already there you have an advantage. But, like, people like us who are in these leagues with other really, really smart fantasy managers who also know player value and also know all these starting rosters, the next, kind of the next edge, I would say, is having a good idea for who these optimal linebacker handcuffs are. So that way you can get them off the waiver wire quickly. Because there's a one-week buffer oftentimes, especially in less experienced leagues, in my opinion, between a linebacker getting injured and his handcuff being picked up. Like, if Divine Diablo got hurt in a casual league, I don't necessarily know if people pick up, you know, Luke Masterson off of waivers that week before he even scores points. Maybe he scores points and then people pick him up because like, oh, look at that guy. Like, he obviously got more snaps. Uh, but if you're in like a super, super sharp league, like that could be your edge. That could be, you know, the way that you can really get that next step on people is knowing immediately who stands to value, who, who stands to gain value the most just based on injuries to starters. But I, I don't want to belabor the point there. That's a little too much game theory for most well, people. I, but. I, I agree with you. Like, I think it's an edge for both of those types of leagues because what it lets you do is draft defensive linemen early and you punt linebacker down the board because as long as you can scrounge and scramble and get guys off of waivers and fill those spots every week, then you can spend picks at the top of your draft on all of these defensive linemen who we like, who as much as people say that they like like the safety of linebacker and things like that, like we have all this other info on defensive linemen now that we're in this PFF era and like we know who's good. Um, unless you're a PFF denier, in which case you don't know who's good, but like you can get all those guys and fill in with linebacker, pick up guys off waivers, pick up guys who are being undervalued, and you can build really strong teams that way. Yeah, it's like the zero RB of IDP, the zero LB. Uh, and I mean, and if you're in a combinedly, like even more, then you can just go zero IDP in general. And then when you do eventually get in to IDP, just taking the defensive lineman, like that's a strategy I've pursued back when I played in more casual combined leagues before, like. I got a job making fantasy content and all my league mates decided they wanted to quit because they had to play against me. But that's another story for another time of just like, I would just draft offensive players because everybody else didn't really know what they were doing. And so I knew that I could get value later. But again, another story for another time. I totally agree with you here. Really quick talking about the DBs so we can get on to some more exciting things. Uh, I do like what you said about you know, Gus Bradley switching the safety usage to have a guy that spends more time in the box. Last year, that was Trayvon Merrig. He didn't do great with it. So we'll see how it looks this upcoming season. But there is another guy who's being drafted farther ahead of him. Actually, two guys that are being drafted farther ahead of him. So let's go ahead and talk about both those guys real quick. Well, one just barely ahead of Merrick. But the one, the one guy is going quite a bit ahead of Nate Hobbs. So Nate Hobbs was... Well, last year the last year the Raiders didn't have a dedicated slot corner. They kind of rotated a few guys through it. But Hobbs was like a very productive cornerback last year. Whether that holds for this year, I don't really know. I've seen some reports that he's going to be 
the dedicated slot player this year. So I don't know if that means that he's going to be in the slot and then off the field when they only have two corners or if he's going to rotate outside. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've probably drafted him and he's going off at defensive back 43. So that's probably fine. But the other guy that you were talking about was Marcus Epps, who was in Philadelphia last year. He's coming off at defensive back 112 and, and marriage right behind him by about a round. These are both like round 28 picks in our, in our, in these basketball drafts that we're doing, but Epps played strong safety last year for the Eagles. So who's it going to be this year? I don't really know. Um, I think our friend football guy trip has, uh, has projected it's going to be Epps. Um, I might even have that backwards, but that was going to be interesting to see who wins that job. Mary, I always thought had the profile of being free safety. So, he was kind of curious that he was playing a little bit more in the box last year. Yeah, I'll have to look and see how that Epps usage looked last season. But yeah, I've definitely dipped my toes into the Nate Hobbs water. I need to stop using that analogy. It just sounds weirder and weirder the farther we get into the episode. But I've taken him a few times, especially in the shallower leagues where I have to take DBs a little bit earlier. Otherwise, I'm, I'm literally not going to take one until I have to which is after I've completely filled up my linebacker and defensive line position. Wait and see if that actually was the right strategy. But, you know, in the meantime, we'll see. So let's see. Marcus Epps versus Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. I think what I want to do is I want to look at their rates. Yeah, so listeners, again, if you're not familiar with Tom Kislingbury's, you know, defensive scheme handbook, it's a really, really great, really, really great tool for those of you guys that are trying to really get to that next level of understanding. So so yeah, Marcus Epps and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson both spent some time in the box. Marcus Epps just played more snaps overall because CGJ got hurt. So we'll see. He also technically played more deep as well. He just played more everything. That, to me, I kind of see them both. I have a chart that just has like the percentages as opposed to just total snaps. Yeah, I don't know I don't if this specific team has one he has it for he has it for cgj but not for eps so sorry that was a little bit sidetracky so i guess technically if there's at least a player that has shown that they can succeed in the box when given the opportunity it would be eps so maybe he's being extremely underrated maybe i mean because uh let me think here uh patrick graham yeah, Patrick Graham. He was the defensive coordinator for the Colts most recently before the Raiders, right? And when he was the DC for the Colts, I'm pretty sure they had some pretty productive strong safeties, you know, like, what's his name? The guy that retired. I already forgotten his name. That's so sad. Kari Williams. Maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe I'm just completely making this stuff up. Graham wasn't in Indianapolis. You're thinking of, uh, I can't remember. You're thinking of Gus Bradley, I think. I am. I've, where is Gus Bradley now? <laughs> this is completely irrelevant. Let's not let's not follow this bunny trail too far. But but anyways, yeah, I, I think there's definitely an opportunity for value here. Do we really need to spend more time on these DBs, or can we just move no, on to Kansas City? No, we don't. I mean, none of these guys are getting drafted other than our best ball league, so you can just watch them camp reports and see who you want to take or just let them sit on waivers. Awesome. Okay, and for the Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, I mean, not a lot of change 
maybe at offensive coordinator, but that doesn't really matter for us. We should expect, what, more or less the same from last year? Maybe not. There is a couple new faces, and I think we're going to be pretty intrigued by what they have to offer. But before we actually get into the specific positional breakdown, what is the general overview for this team? So I don't have a whole lot of notes on Steve Spagnuolo, but I guess the one thing that he's most notorious for until last year was not having a full-time linebacker. Now he fucked that trend by letting Nick Bolton do it last year, and he gave us this wonderful Nick Bolton performance. Um, the only other note I really have on Spags is that he likes to run a lot of like edge-in kind of stuff, so like third defensive end on passing downs, which I remember him doing back when he was the Giants' defensive corner back when they beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, they would run a lot of, uh, like, four defensive ends on the defensive line. Don't need to do that here because you have Chris Jones. But, um, yeah, an interesting team. A guy who doesn't... A defensive coordinator who does not care about our fantasy football teams. Really doesn't. So that's kind of what makes this team difficult because there's a lot of guys that are intriguing. And I think that's why we like them for best ball because you don't need to decide when they have spike weeks. But for managed leagues, it does get a little bit more tricky. On the defensive line, I think I think there's some opportunity for value here, seriously. Like, obviously, Chris Jones is incredible. And George Karloftis had a somewhat promising rookie season. One of my favorite guys, and I don't want to spoil too much of what you're going to talk about because this is, you know, obviously something that 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 you're you know re- ready to break down more specifically, but you know the rookie they brought in, I'm not super high on him year one. The guy that I really like is is Charles Amenehu because I thought he was pretty promising on the 49ers. But what's your breakdown for this team? What are you thinking as far as where we might be able to find some value here? Yeah, so Chris Jones we like, but he's a second round pick in his best balls right now. He's defensive line 13, so he is pretty pricey now. He is. He is kind of like the archetype of what we would want for these best ball drafts because the scoring is so sack heavy. And he is a guy who, you know, hasn't had a whole lot of tackles throughout his career, but he's put up the 15 sack season like last year. So he's he's kind of just past the guys who go in that one two turn all the time. Like he goes just after Thibodeau and Reddick and Jalen Phillips. Uh, Joey Bosa's around there. Quinn Williams goes right beside him. Um, I guess Hutchinson would be around there too, but I didn't write his name down. So I don't really have a problem with Chris Jones in there compared to a lot of those guys. I would, I'm fine taking almost all of them. Maybe not, maybe not Thibodeau, but that's maybe uh, for another time. Uh, Karloftis is defensive line 72, so he's like an end of a sixth round pick. Um, and he was pretty good last year. Like he performed about as well as the other rookie defensive lineman in this class, like a lot of them had 10% pressure rates. He played quite a bit earlier in the year. He had a lot of games with 80% of snaps or so. They cut him back towards the end of the year to about 60%. I don't know if there's a ton on this team that would hold him back from playing a whole bunch of snaps. And I mean, we would, we would want that. We would want a guy with a whole lot of usage. And, and it helps that he's got a defensive coordinator who will put extra defensive ends on the field on passing. Um, and Manihue is interesting. He has never really played a whole lot of snaps. I know he's been pretty productive as a pass rusher. I did see that his uh, his contract, all of his incentives are tied to him playing 65% of snaps, which he's never done in his career. So 
he's interesting and he goes very late. Like he's defensive line about 110. He's a 20th round pick. So I, I think he's interesting there. Uh, Felix Nduke Uzoma is going a little bit higher than him. And I don't mind him as a, I don't mind him as a prospect, but he checked a lot of boxes for me in terms of like athleticism and sort of production in college. Um, but he is a later first round pick. Those players tend to struggle in their first year. I think I think off the top of my head, like TJ Watts, like the one outlier for someone who got drafted at the end of the first round, who played really well as a rookie, or at least had a really good fantasy finish as a rookie. Um, but I mean, defensive line seventy eight isn't a terrible spot for him either. I, I'm going to do what I hate doing, or at least what I hate when people do to me. But I'm going to put you on the spot real quick as far as like rookies coming into the league. Felix Anyadike Uzoma versus George Karloftis. Would you agree in saying George Karloftis was probably a little bit more polished, a little bit more day one ready? Maybe FAU is going to need a little bit more time to develop before Karloftis? Well, you're asking someone who watched zero tape of either of these two players in college, so I don't know if I can comment a whole lot on that. Although I That's like, fair. That's I like, fair. I like Karloftis as a prospect too because he was also very productive at uh, he was pretty right? Say that again. He went to Purdue, right? Yeah, yeah. Karloff just did, yes. Yeah. So I mean I, I thought he was I thought he was fine and he's at least I mean for this year, he's at least been decent as a rookie that you'd have some faith that he could grow as a second year player. Um but I don't i I've I've drafted an ADT and Zoman Dynasty, so I think he's fine. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. Maybe a little bit of time to develop, but Omenihue, I feel like, is is the real value on this defensive line. I feel like there's a lot of talent here, especially when you're placing Frank Clark and absorbing his snaps. I mean, if if you're better than Frank Clark, I, I mean, that's not really an if. It's it's just more of a fact, I would assume. But if you're at least playing a solid amount of snaps on a defensive line that gets to the quarterback, and I have to imagine that this defensive line will get to the quarterback a little bit more effectively than they did last season, I would imagine that that leads to some solid production for all parties involved. Um, let's go ahead and talk about the linebacker situation. I'm going to call it a situation because it is a little bit of a funky situation, especially behind Nick Bolton. So, you know, we, we got a sec to talk about Nick Bolton already. He absolutely outproduced his ADP in 2022 because nobody was expecting him to get the amount of snap volume that he did. And oh boy, did he absolutely crush with that snap volume. But the real question is, what the heck is going on behind him? Because I don't know about you, but I thought that they were pretty decent at linebacker behind him. I thought that Willie Gay and Leo Chanel were solid, you know, number two, number three options. And maybe they needed a number four, kind of like whoever was like Ben Neiman or something last year. was just kind of an emergency, you know, special team guy. But no, they went out and they signed a guy who was like a top 10 linebacker in all of IDP last season. So how do we feel about Drew Tranquil in this situation? Do we even have strong opinions, or is this going to be one of those camp report top-tier watch list kind of things? I think it's going to be the latter. I don't really know what to do with the Chiefs linebackers after Bolton because Willie Gay played 90% of snaps in Week 2 before he got suspended last year, and then he came back and he kind of hovered between like 60 and 80. So he actually played a fair bit, and if not for Drew Tranquil signing you would think that he would have a pretty good shot at doing that. But now with Tranquil in the room, and, and Tranquil's been quoted as saying that like, they haven't guaranteed him 
any playing time, but it seems odd that they would sign him for him to not play. Um, Leo Chanel, unfortunately, I think is just going to be relegated to being like the fourth linebacker in this group. Like he gave us the highlight so far of Chanel's career has been climbing up the bus in the Super Bowl parade. And I think at least for now, that will probably remain his highlight. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the only other thought I've had about this group, and I and I don't think this is going to happen, but for having a defensive coordinator who's never really liked playing a full-time linebacker, do you think there would really be any risk that he takes Bolton off the field in certain situations? Because if yeah. anybody's going to do it, it would be him. But I think Bolton's probably played well enough that we feel pretty confident that he's going to play full-time. I mean, I'll tell you this, I haven't drafted him a single time, not to say that I don't like him per se, but like if you had to choose between Nick Bolton or Foyasado Luakun or Roquan Smith, like which of those three guys has the highest chance to not play every single down? Probably Nick Bolton. Yeah, it would probably be Bolton. I had that come up in one of the best balls that I did where it got to me and it was basically... Uh, Olukun or Bolton, or I could have taken Brian Burns, and I just feel like as much as I don't like drafting a whole bunch of linebackers this early, I also don't want to get like completely burned by never taking them and having them blow up, because he was he was really good last year. Like The thing with Nick Bolton going, going into last year was he didn't play a whole lot, but he had a very high tackle efficiency, and there were the people who are very into that were like, look at all the upside this guy has, what if he plays all the snaps? I'm personally not that big into the tackle efficiency thing, but I'm someone who would have got burnt on this because I drafted Bolton last year and he was great. So I'm kind of fine taking him if he kind of gets to me in the latter part of the first round in some of these drafts, but I'm definitely not like going out of my way to bump him over Olakun. Um, Olakun goes ahead of him in AP, and really that's just the tiebreaker I'm using there as I'm. I'm pretending like I'm drafting dozens and dozens of teams and trying to do like a portfolio style thing. So I'm just trying to draft guys by ADP in that first round. Um, so yeah, I don't have a whole lot else to say about Bolton. Like I think he's good, and I think he'd probably be pretty good. I don't want to pay a whole lot for him though. Yeah, but that's just the useful thing. I don't want to pay a whole lot for linebackers. Yeah, again, t- totally agree. Maybe they just brought Tranquil in to kind of inform the offense on how to beat the Chargers defense because, you know, he was like, you know, he just came there. Wasn't he the green dot? I'm pretty sure he's the green dot in Los Angeles. I don't know for sure. Not that this really matters. It's more of a joke, but... Does Mahomes really need help to beat the Chargers defense? I don't know if anybody really does. I feel like the Chargers defense needs help to not give up like a 27-point lead in the playoffs, but we don't need to talk about that too much more. Let's go ahead and move on to the DBs here. Sorry, Chargers fans. I Look, I my team didn't even make the playoffs, so you can tell me, you can call me out all you want. Um, let's talk about the DBs here. There are quite a few exciting ones on this team. There's two, maybe three, hopefully not, safeties that are pretty intriguing, two corners that are pretty intriguing. Let's uh, let's talk about the safeties first, or do we just want to talk about them by ADP order? I'll let you decide. What do you think here? Uh, we can switch it up and do it by the safeties first. So Dustin Reed was their last year. He came over from Houston. Um, he had, if I remember correctly, I think Justin Reed had a really great rookie season and has been kind of middling. It's like not, not terrible, but fine. Uh, mid? Did you call him mid? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, 
if you somehow score kicker points in your league, he might be sneaky because I know he's the emergency kicker in Kansas City. Um, I would be surprised if there's too many leagues that, that have that. Uh, the other safety spot is a little bit more open, though. They drafted Brian Cook in, I believe, the third round last year. They signed Mike Edwards over from Tampa Bay. Some of the stuff that I've seen indicates that kind of Cook would be the leader right now to be the second safety. But again, I think this is one of those where you just kind of have to wait. They both go very, very late in best balls. They're both in like that DB 100 range, like Epps and Eric were in. So anything outside of those best balls where you're not ros- where your league is not rostering a hundred defensive backs, you can probably just wait and see what happens. Yeah, I think Reed burned me a little bit last year because I was super excited on him coming over from Houston. I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be the year. He didn't do as much as I hoped he would. And obviously, I you know got burned by a lot of rookies last year because I was I succumbed to the rookie hype, especially on guys like Brian Cook, who played behind Juan Thornhill. And so he, he didn't score me a lot of points either. So I've kind of just not touched him much this year, especially after they signed Mike Edwards I drafted him a little bit beforehand and then free agency came around and I was like uh maybe not I'm optimistic or at least I'm slightly more optimistic now that you mentioned that there's a chance Brian Cook starts maybe that just tells me I shouldn't draft either of them and just kind of let my exposure be what it is and move on to a little bit more sure things but uh what are your thoughts there before we move on to corner no I, I think you're right the thing that's hard especially in these best balls when we have no access to waivers, is if you're drafting these guys that you're really not sure are going to play, you start building up a lot of risk of like, you know, they don't play and you just eat a whole bunch of zeros. And depending on which size of best ball you're in, eating a whole bunch of zeros is just going to be really bad. Like the, the bigger format that we've done, there are 31 rounds and have 15 bench spots or so. You can get away with having a few more dead players, I think. But some of these newer ones that come out, that are, what are they, 23 rounds, we're starting 11 and have nine best spots. That that math doesn't work. But 22, the, but yeah. Yeah, the, the point is, is in those ones especially, eating a whole bunch of zeros for dead players is really, really going to hurt you because you're going to eventually get zeros for injuries and other things throughout the season. Um, so I don't love taking either guy in sort of that smaller format, but if we're in the bigger one and I've been careful not to take too many dead, like potentially dead players. I don't mind adding a guy like this. Even Stearns is a guy that I've done like that. Like we talked about Stearns earlier. Like, again, we don't really know if he's going to be the other starting safety in Denver, but you can draft him really late like these guys. So I don't mind mixing some of those guys in. I hear you, especially with those 31 rounders. I'm, you know, I'm trying to steer away just because I got burnt so bad last year. But in those 22 round ones, those BB drafts, like, I feel like one of the worst mistakes a manager can make is spending a draft pick on a highly speculative player. I'm having a hard time off the dome, like thinking of some other ones. Maybe like a Rashawn Evans is a potential example of like, he's a free agent right now. Maybe he lands in a good spot. Maybe he doesn't. But like, there's a very real chance that he doesn't get playing time. And like you were saying, if you have too many of those zeros on your team, even before injuries happen, like, you are you are really you're getting screwed. Yeah, and the problem with Rashawn Evans is he gets drafted right before Aziz Al Shahir, who exactly is, is someone who I have only just recently realized that I have been completely wrong about him all offseason because I spent the first part of the offseason being like, Really, is this guy any good? 
how is he going to start in Tennessee? And then I finally looked at the depth chart and was like, no one is there in Tennessee. <laughs> so, yeah, um, he, he is a great pick, but we're not doing the AFC South right now. I almost started asking about Monty Rice and stuff. Let's real quick talk about the corners. I know Jake Colhagen, the lovely Jake Colhagen, is really interested in one of these guys specifically. There was a little bit of a switcheroo that happened last season, so we can talk about that real quick. And then I'm curious if you've heard anything about what we might expect going into 2023. Yeah, I uh, I don't know a lot about this situation. That's a lie. I've got some else here. But um, Lajarius Need played primarily slot corner for most of the year. He ended up being our cornerback one. Everybody loves him. I He is the first cornerback drafted. Best balls he's going to the defensive back eight. I uh, I look forward later in the summer to the IDP Invitational where Steve's going to get drafted four rounds ahead of every other cornerback. Um, that's probably a bad use of your of your draft capital. But uh, but Trent McDuff is uh, it's Trent McDuff, right, Mike? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Um, he was a first round rookie pick last year. He played mostly outside, and then right at the end of the season, they swapped him and Snead, and they had him play in the slot, and then. I forget which playoff week this was, but I remember it very specifically because some of the the Twitter prop bet guys were all over the tackle line for McDuffie, but all of a sudden they switched them back and Snead was a spot corner again. So there was a Chiefs Wire article that where Spags was quoted as saying that he wanted to have a third guy who can play slot so that he can have both Snead and McDuffie outside. I don't know what to make of that because we're talking about quotes in June, but McDuffie's going off of defensive back 38. Sneed is going off of the defensive back eight. So I am the, the McDuffie price is a lot more palpable than me and the Sneed price. Like the Sneed price, he ends up being in the range where like they're still really good linebackers. They're still defensive linemen who have a lot of upside. So that's kind of in a range. And I talked about this a little bit in my best ball article that you referred to off the top. It's not a range I like taking defensive backs in just because I feel like you can get so much more value later in drafts. And especially in this case, there's a 100-pick difference between these two guys who we don't really know who is going to be in the role that we want here. Yeah, I, I think this is actually a really interesting transition to our final team too because, I mean, talking about taking defensive backs early and and the risks associated with just investing that much draft capital or more importantly, the opportunity cost of investing that much draft capital into a defensive back that early. It, it was a really good transition segue into talking about the Los Angeles Chargers and Derwin James, which I'm sure we'll spend a little bit of extra time on when we reach the defensive backs at the end of the draft. Uh, but man, this team has a couple really, really exciting assets on there. And there's one guy on this team who I keep taking. I'm excited to kind of share about him and and kind of pick your brain about what you think about him as well because I'm a little shocked that I've drafted him as much as I have. I really thought people would be more excited about him, but I'll wait until we actually get to his group before we talk about them. First things first though, let's get a quick overview of kind of what this what the heck is going on with this defense here. Yeah, so defensive coordinator change here. So we have Derek Ainsley now, the previous coordinator was Ronaldo Hill. He's off to Miami. Um but this is who is the head coach on the Chargers? I can't. Brandon Staley. This is very much like a Brandon Staley defense. You recall he was the coordinator for the Rams when they went to the Super Bowl. Um, very like 
I think he's in that Fangio family tree of defenses. So like a lot of quarters, a lot of like tight bunch defensive linemen, a lot of single linebackers. He's one of the highest single linebacker coaches as far as deployment. Um, Do they have anything else on this? Nope. That was all I had for the Chargers. Yeah, and I think it's it's fair to note, I think one of the most important keys with this defense is how little they use their linebacker two. And the fact that their linebacker one, I mean, Drew Tranquil last year, scored a, an absolute buttload of points, and it wasn't because he's one of the most talented linebackers in the league. No hate to him, but he was on the field a ton. Linebacker two, now granted it was Kenneth Murray, who's not exactly supreme talent in his, in his own right, but uh, I don't exactly expect this to change too much. So it's it's definitely good to bring up. But one of the most exciting players on this team is Joey Bosa. I'd love to know what you think about him because it seems like there's two there's two camps, generally speaking, with Joey Bosa. There's people who are the injury truthers who just basically say, not, not touching this guy with a 10-foot pole. He's injury prone. I don't want any injury prone players on my team. And then there's the other camp. I feel like I belong to this camp. I really don't believe in the injury-prone label unless it's, you know, a, a verifiably statistically proven high injury rate injury. But I still think he has a crap ton of juice. I think he's still an incredibly good player, and so I'm taking him. If I miss out on the other guys kind of in that turn, but opposite him, we have Khalil Mack, who's also somewhat intriguing in his, in his own right. So what are your thoughts on these two edge guys and is there anyone else on this defensive line that you're even really looking at uh so i'll answer the second question first there isn't really anyone else on this defensive line that i'm looking at but i i like both these guys um i mean joey bosa goes with quite a bit higher i have him as like a middle second round pick based on the adp but i mean you could you could see him up on that i'm i'm with you i think we get injury discount with where he's going, and I think he's totally fine. If you draft him and he plays the whole year, you're really happy with that pick. Um, Khalil Mack, same thing. Like someone who still has pretty good results in terms of like pass rush metrics and things like that, and just hasn't put up numbers for whatever reason. Uh, he goes off at defensive line 45. I think he's dual position eligible on sleeper two, which is nice. So I I like both these guys. I think I've drafted both of them so far. Yeah, and um, man, I I miss the days when Joey Bosa was like an early third round pick and like best ball one and best ball two that we did way back in like February. Now he's I've seen him go in the first round once or twice. I feel like because I've gotten just so many, you know, later part of the drafts nine, ten, eleven, twelve draft picks. Like I keep ending up with Joey Bosa if I'm in like the eight or nine range, and I keep getting him in the early ish second round right after. You know, my other guys that I like right after Jalen Phillips, for example, I feel like he's kind of the guy I take right after that. But even if he does miss some time with injury, it doesn't matter. You only get him for his good weeks, and his good weeks are so good. They're so good. So again, like I said, I don't really believe in the injury-prone label, and I agree with you here. I think we're getting a bit of a discount on him, and I'm okay with that. I don't necessarily think he needs to go up much higher. There's maybe one or two guys going ahead of him that are maybe getting a little too much hype. I know you mentioned Kayvon Thibodeau earlier. Maybe Jalen Phillips is getting a little too much hype. I don't necessarily think so, but um, that's another conversation for another time. If you have thoughts on that, I mean, feel free to share. Otherwise, let's just jump right into the linebacker room, man. Yeah, the only thought I'll share on that is I'm, a, I'm not sure what to do with 
Hutchinson or Thibodeau as being like one, two turn guys, because for them to be there, you were projecting them to be a big step up from what they were as rookies. And I mean, they were fine as rookies. They both had like 10% pressure rates, but we're there in a group where we want guys who are like 15% pressure rate. So if you, we had a little bit more of a discount on those guys and we didn't have to bet on them taking that step up to being elite, I'd be a little bit more on board with taking them. Phillips at least has shown you a little bit more and he's shown you a little bit more like in run defense that you can get some tackles out of him too. As much as that isn't a big deal in these best balls with the scoring that we have with so big play. Um, yeah, I, I struggle a little bit with those two guys. Do you want me to jump into the linebackers right away? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I th- I think this is just my sign that I need to stop drafting Aiden Hutchinson at 7 and Kayvon Thibodeau at 11 because just because I hate drafting linebackers in the first round so much does not necessarily mean that I need to take a guy that's really going to have to do something outstanding in order to actually return on his draft investment. But yeah, let's go ahead and move on to linebackers because this is, this is the location of one of my most exciting targets in best ball right now. Yeah, so uh, Eric Hendricks get, leaves Minnesota, comes over, takes probably takes Drew Tranquil's spot. I would think um, you've got him. You've got Kenneth Murray, who you know was a first round pick, but he's disappointed as far as being like the player that you would expect out of the first round pick. Um, and then Dane on Henley goes a little bit ahead of Murray, which I'm not totally sure about. But I think that's just a little bit of rookie hype. But I think like. Kendrick's really here is the guy that we would expect to play full time. And like he's been good in the past. So I don't see why this would be a problem. He comes off at linebacker 26, which is a pretty nice price for him. Like you can get him in the sixth round. Is that, is that the guy that you like? Or have I poured cold water in one of the other two for you? No, you're, you're absolutely right. I don't understand Derek Kendrick's ADP personally. Anyways, I got him in the eighth round, you know, a couple of drafts ago, I took him in the fifth or sixth round. Okay, that's a little, maybe sixth or seventh. I mean, am I wrong in, in thinking this? I think Eric Hendricks is a better linebacker than Drew Tranquil. Eric Hendricks is used to be, you know, one of the most talented coverage linebackers in the league. I, I still think he's got plenty of juice left. At least, you know, there, there are some people who I trust in their player analysis who who tend to think that so he's stepping into a situation where I expect him to get a ton of snaps the same snaps that elevated Drew Tranquil to be one of the best IDP linebackers last season and I think that there's a very real chance that Eric Kendricks could be even more efficient with that same usage and yet he's going as linebacker 26 am I wrong like that seems like such incredible value no, I, I think that makes sense. Like you can, I mean, a lot of these guys in these range, this range, I can imagine them having a great season with, with the exception of Jordan Brooks, who goes right after him because Jordan Brooks looks like a guy who's eating 12 zeros to start this year. <laughs> but like, but like, like the guys around him, like the Kobe Dean, like, could he get all the snaps in Philadelphia? He might, he might not. We don't really know. We don't really know what he's going to look like in, in terms of efficiency. Uh, Jack Campbell goes ahead of him. Pete Warner, we'll see if Pete Warner takes over the full-time role ahead of Mario Davis. Uh, Jewel goes ahead of that. I mean, I really like, I would like rather Jewel over Kendricks, but I mean, I've, I've drafted Kendricks and I could see the argument for him over a bunch of those other guys I named. Devin Lloyd goes behind him. Ernest Jones, so I like, goes right behind him too. So I, it's not a 
it's not a terrible range for him. Like I would want to scheme him up too, too much. But the other thing that I missed in my notes on the Chargers was they were the third fewest snaps per game on defense last year. And if you get any uptick in that, like there's there's a chance for him to score really well. Yeah, get some positive regression to the mean there. Yeah, I do feel like this is the range where you can get like the quote-unquote league-winning linebacker, like Nick Bolton from last year, for example. Now, this is obviously very different because we're not projecting more usage or a change in scheme. We're just like, look, I, I think this guy is still good. And I think he could be efficient. So I, I think that's a little bit of a different projection. But I do feel like this is the range where you can get linebackers that are cheap enough that there's not a massive opportunity cost in drafting him but there's still enough potential opportunity and upside for them that they could legitimately vault themselves up into top 12 linebacker, you know, by the end of the season. I, I think we've pretty much fleshed out that point pretty well, so we don't need to spend too much more time on that. Now the defensive backs, there's one guy, there's one guy here who is just, I mean, the player, he's, he's him. He's absolutely DB one in every single draft. Everybody else, is a little, a little bit interesting. So we'll have to spend some time talking about those other guys, unfortunately or fortunately, however you see that situation. But I believe you have a bit, I don't want to call it a rant, but a little bit of a monologue that you want to go on for Derwin James, unless I'm remembering incorrectly. But I want to hear your Derwin James talk first before we break down the rest of that defensive back room. Yeah, and 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 to be clear, like I love Derwin James. Like I have Derwin James on my C teams, and it makes my heart warm when I see him in my lineup. But he just goes too high in these best balls. So, but especially last year, like so last year, Derwin James was an early second round pick, and just like your opportunity cost or what have you of taking him, like you could have taken him or you could have taken Max Crosby right behind him. Um, this year, he's going quite a bit later. So this year, he's like an early third-round pick. And I think the question with Derwin James is, where is the appropriate place to take him? Because he's a good player, and like he he's one of those players that like truly has a strong usage in terms of like, line snaps, linebacker snaps. The Chargers have him do everything. Brandon Staley's been talking about him being that quote-unquote star role that they had Jalen Ramsey in and, and on the Rams. And no one's doubting that he's a bad player. Is this where do you take him? And defensive back is such a flat position. Like, what upside do you get from him finishing first overall? So he was a player that I talked about a fair bit in that best ball article because I ended up calculating sort of like estimated win rates for every player of like, and that's you know based on how they scored and what draft position they were in, like how many times that they show up on, you know, the top eight percent of teams that I generated based on the ADP for those best balls. And he had a 6.6% win rate, which is obviously not good. You want that win rate to be at least 8%. That's an average player. So then, and he was actually not bad as a finish. Like I think he was defensive back end in big three scoring. So, you know, that's not horrible. You spend a pick, he doesn't bust. He still has a terrible win rate. So, so what do you do with that? So what I did was, I went and looked at the difference between him and Jalen Petrie. So they were about 40 points different. So I said, okay, what if you add 40 points and 40 usable points? So not like we added points in the weeks where Duran James like didn't play and got you zeros. Points in weeks where Duran James would have been in your lineup. And if you do that, he bumps up to an 11% win rate, which is good. But 
if you're drafting the top defensive back and he finishes as the top defensive back and your win rate is 11%, that tells me that that is just too high to take that player because Max Crosby goes right beside him. He is the number one defensive lineman and he has like an 18% win rate. So I just don't know if there's upside in taking these guys in these early rounds. Um, I like him as the fourth round pick, but he doesn't always fall there and dress. Although he is falling there in some, and I've been jealous of you seeing you get him there. It's been it's it's been a roller coaster, that's for sure. I feel like there are two different draft rooms. There are the draft rooms where there's a couple people in there who are relatively new, and and I and I don't want to shame them. I I would highly encourage everyone to come in and try out these best ball drafts because I don't really think there's a better resource for preparing your mind for the IDP fantasy football season. But there are some drafts where Derwin James goes in the first or second round, and then there's drafts that are full of veteran best ball drafters where he falls into the fourth or fifth. And I think that's reflected in his coefficient of variation. Or is it just his variance? Yeah, it's just his, it's just the standard deviation. I got all excited over my stats over here. I didn't even I don't even have a coefficient of variation column. But within every single player that goes within the first three-ish rounds. So, you know, the top like 32-ish guys, Derwin James has the highest standard deviation of draft position out of every single one. His standard deviation is over an entire round. It's 12.8 picks of deviation in either either direction from the mean. So his mean is is where it's at, but, but just one single standard deviation. So, you know, the 66.6% of drafts in either direction Sorry, I'm getting way too stats for this, but it's it's over an entire round of, of variance. So every other guy that goes within those first two or three rounds, they generally go in a relatively specific order and they fluctuate by a gap of, you know, three to four picks. Derwin James, more than 12 picks of fluctuation on a draft by draft basis. And I think that's a reflection of just how much these rooms change. I guess the quality of the drafters and just, you know, how people kind of value defensive backs. Those who have read your article and those who have not read your article perhaps could be where we draw the line. But I'm absolutely in agreement with you about Derwin James. I mean, I am on the record saying I think as it stands right now, he's probably the most talented safety in the league. And I'm also on record saying that if you wanted to start a defense, like if you wanted to start a franchise around a defensive player, like Derwin James is one of the guys. He's probably not like at the very, very top of the list, but he's probably one of the safeties, if not the safety that you would want if you were to start a franchise with somebody. This is completely a tangent from our main conversation, but I figured I'd just bring it up because it's interesting. Uh, any thoughts on that before we get into the other DBs on this team? No, I, I think you're right. Like you can draft Derwin James early and still win your best ball league. I just think you're less likely to do so. And I don't know, like, I've, I've been in some of these rooms and seen pe- people take Derwin James early, and some of the people doing it are people who, like, draft a lot of best ball teams. Um, I don't want to be the, the person determining who is an expert and who is not in these drafts, but I, I think there are people that just like their defensive backs, but it's a very flat position regardless of your scoring. There are just so many guys, and we are just not very good at picking these guys. Like, one of the other things that I did I think you've played in the IDP Invitational before, but every year I take a look at the ADP of that tournament and compare the scoring. Like, how did every position score versus where we all drafted these guys? And this year, um, 
none of the top five safeties at the end of the year in that scoring were drafted. Well, well that's not true. Rayshon Jenkins was drafted in one league, and the other four guys, uh, Petrie, Ufanga, I forget the other two, none of them were drafted. It's not a position that we're we're good at picking at. Um, have you ever seen the Tom Kisslenberry like accountability tweets where at the end of the year he goes through his projections and he shows you like how many of my top 12 defensive ends does he get right? How many of his top 24 and, and so on and so on. They really do like those tweets. I, I feel like there are some people that kind of give him some hard time for that. I'm not one of those people. I think accountability is really important, especially if you're somebody out there who has established yourself as a reliable source. Check yourself. How accurate were you actually? So what was your point with that, where you're going? So, yeah, and my point of that is because I'm not, I don't care that much about the accountability thing. Like I know a lot of people like to share all their legal results and show people and things like that. But I think the point, the point for me of that tweet is just like the projection error that we have in safeties that just like, and I mean, you could turn around and try and tell me that like Tom is a bad projector or a bad ranker or whatever, but. I, I don't know, like, that's his worst position, and it's his worst position by quite a bit, and he's also done the tweets on, like, you know, how many people out of the top 12, like, repeat the following year, and safety and corner are the worst. So, if it's a position that we are not good at ranking, not good at drafting, why are we drafting this position early in drafts? This is something that we need to punch. I, I love that you're saying this, because it kind of goes hand in hand. Uh I, I don't know how familiar you are with J.J. Zacharyson, the late-round quarterback, but like 10 years ago, he basically started an ebook that talked about why drafting quarterbacks early was a bad idea because the R-squared value between ADP and points scored at the end of the season was extremely low. There was very limited correlation between draft position and end-of-year finish. And he actually kind of rehashed that this past week on one of his episodes. But I kind of feel like we're at that same point, the, the late-round DB of the, the correlation between ADP and end of season finish has to be significantly weaker at that position than at other positions. And I just wish that we had more historical ADP data for IDP so that we could compare that. But I am really excited at the end of this season to compare our best ball ADP, which I believe is the best in the business, compare our best ball ADP to end of season finish and just kind of see the kind of, I guess you could just say the line of best fit, like just compare ADP on one axis and end of season finish on the other axis and get a line of best fit and figure out, you know, where's our correlation here and how does that correlation compare to other positions? Because I'm in agreement with you here. I mean, it's extremely deep. It's extremely volatile. It's extremely hard to predict and project. Maybe drafting DBs highly in the draft is just not, you know, it's it's not an optimal strategy. And I don't really want to call that a maybe. I would I would stand out here and, and agree with you and, and state objectively, I don't believe it is optimal strategy. So if you're doing that and you are successful, I would attribute luck. But I don't necessarily think that on a case, you know, on a consistent, repeatable basis that you can you can get plus EV, you can actually profit by consistently taking defensive backs early, at least in our scoring format. Yeah, you're paying the rake if you take a whole bunch of defensive backs early. Um, the the other thing that makes this really tough that's worth pointing on too is like we are now in this era where like the dominant defense is of this like Fangio type to like a lot of two high safeties, a lot of quarters, a lot of cover six, like all that kind of stuff. And safeties are playing deep and not close to the line of scrimmage. We know that being close to the line of scrimmage is really helpful for tackle efficiency. Ten years ago when the dominant defense was those like Seahawks cover three defenses, 
a lot of those teams, we knew who the strong safety was. Teams weren't disguising that as much as they are now. So we see a lot of teams, we've seen three of them in this division. Basically, every team that's not the Chargers don't really have too much. Actually, that's, that's not true. The Chargers and the Raiders are the two that have like somewhat of a split of like who the strong safety and who the free safety is. But a lot of teams don't. So you're not really having a guy that you can count on like being in the box all the time and, and being like a de facto linebacker. So that makes it even tougher to project. Like it makes it tougher to project now than it was 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of their their safety situation, their free safety is, uh, I don't even know if I can call it a downgrade because Nasir Adderley wasn't great last season. Will Alohi Gilman be any better? And the cornerback situation is also interesting because J.C. Jackson was supposed to be the guy and he struggled big time. Now, I actually have a counter argument to that that we can get into when we talk about him. But, you know, assuming he's even back from injury, him and and uh, Sante Samuel, I mean, they should create a duo of corners that might have productive weeks. But what are your thoughts here on the rest of the defensive backs on the team? So what happened to J.C. Jackson? He tore the tower tendon. Uh, yeah, I think it was his patellar tendon or his quadriceps tendon, but something in his knee. Something like that. So I've, I've seen some stuff on like, will he or won't he be back by the start of the year? So I don't, I don't really know. Um, those two and Gilman are going very, very late. So again, like if you like him and you want to take a pick on them, go ahead. If you're not doing these best balls and you're not drafting a hundred defensive backs, then you can probably just leave them be. Yeah, I hear you. And, and I see a sorry, Gilman is defensive back 189 in our ADP. So he's just like really not getting drafted. Yeah. Every now and then he gets taken in the last round, and that's about it. I feel like Asante Samuel is kind of being succumbed to the same. I, I, I think of it this way when I look at the ADP sheet, I think of actual ADP and then like. I not actual ADP. I don't even know where it is I'm looking for, but like there's the guys that deserve to be taken in the order that they deserve to be say, taken in. And then there's like the exciting cornerbacks. So it goes, you know, Sauce Gardner, then Pat Sertan. You get like Derek Stingley, uh, you know, Asante Samuel, I guess, uh, the guy from the Panthers who I just forgot. But like there's, there's the safeties, and Nichols, who deserve to be taken where they're being taken. And then there's the outside cornerbacks who are young and talented that people just elevate up the draft boards because they think skill equals fantasy points. Is Asante Samuel somebody that might fall into that category of maybe his ADP is being inflated just because he's young and possibly exciting? Or is it late enough that it really doesn't matter? Um, maybe, but when we have past deflections as four versus a solo tackle is 1.25 like don't we want to try and shoot for guys who might get a few more of those like i i can't remember like is is past deflected is past deflections considered a skill like has there been any trend on that i mean i I couldn't tell you definitively i have to imagine that there's some skill there but you have to be on the field to get it but also the ball has to be thrown to you to get it and so Maybe Asante Samuel isn't in that tier of guys that are so good that they don't even get targeted, but I don't really know. I feel like the guys going in his range, like there's still some safeties that I feel like have some more upside. I'll look it up to be sure while while I kind of hear back from you there. But I mean, DB 105, it is pretty late, but I don't know if I've taken any of him yet. 
And and I hear, yeah, maybe I'm underrating the pass deflections because I do know cornerbacks do score lots of points and I just don't draft enough of them. But also, I know that, again, like we were saying earlier, the correlation between ADP and end of season finish is tough. So I don't necessarily want to see if I can call my shot on which cornerback gets the pass deflections. Because if I'm wrong, then I'm probably getting a guy that's just not going to score a lot of points. Asante Samuel's going next to... Who are some other guys I like in this range? Let's see. Juan, Hor- Juan Thornhill, I really like. Malik Hooker, I really like. Mike Edwards, I might draft slightly less than I have in the past. Uh, yeah, I mean, this. I mean, it's kind of stinky. There are some guys here that are not very exciting. Marcus May, I believe, is incredibly good value, but I feel like I would take those safeties over him. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, after this year, we've talked about him. Uh, James Bradbury and Stefan Gilmore are both on my, like, cornerback list of guys that I'm taking at the end. Um, I, I'm not totally sure what to do with, with this, too. Like, I feel like defensive back, and I treat this kind of like defensive line to an extent where, like, when I think about defensive line for this, if a tackle is only getting you one and a quarter points, and a sack is getting you about 11, like, anybody who gets a sack is in your lineup, like, pretty much guaranteed. So I'm trying to get enough defensive linemen to have enough players with sacks every week that I'm filling those spots. And defensive back, I see the same way. And maybe that's a mistake because the differential isn't as big, but I'm trying to get enough guys that I have basically a pass defense and a couple tackles from enough guys to fill my lineup every week. And, and I think for that, especially because we're drafting them so late that I should be taking like a very broad swath of guys because I don't really know who those people are going to be. And you know that's a position that's tough to project, but I've probably been a little bit too concentrated on certain corners like i know i've taken bradbury a couple times i'm pretty sure i've taken samuel at least once um i've taken certain hand a couple times but i'm nominally a broncos fan so so i don't know i'm not i'm not totally sure how to handle this at the end of drafts either yeah i mean i feel like when it comes to corners the guys that i've been drafting have been like the nickels and then really really when we get late i'm drafting guys that i believe are somewhat talented and will play every single snap but aren't, I guess, at least when it comes to outside guys, talented will play every single snap, but aren't so good that I worry that they might just not get targeted. Maybe that's not the right way to go about it because maybe I'm overstating just that, you know, doesn't get the ball thrown to them narrative because at the same time, they're probably covering that team's best receiver and that team's best receiver is going to get the ball no matter what. So we'll see. We'll see about that. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that either, but I agree with you that if you have a really good cornerback and he's playing Jamar Chase, like they're not avoiding Jamar Chase. Exactly. Like, they're just they're just gonna throw him the ball. One last note on this team for the free safety situation. I know Alohi Gilman by ADP is the most popular choice. I wouldn't rule out a John Johnson or someone else coming in from free agency. There's still a couple free safeties available and I mean Alohi Gilman is not no hate to the guy. I doubt he's listening, but no hate to the guy. I don't really think he's the kind of guy that a team vying for a Super Bowl really wants to rely on as the last line of defense in their defense. No pun intended. Was that even a pun? I don't know. Um, any final thoughts on this team before we close out this episode, David? No, I think we've covered it. Yeah, this was a really thorough episode. This is now two after show episodes in a row where I went into it with a, all right, this will be a nice 45 minute show and it's ended up being twice as long. But I did really enjoy talking about all these different teams. David is another, you know, IDP enthusiast. 
IDP enthusiasts, but more specifically best ball enthusiasts who I, I think made this episode really exciting because like I mentioned on almost every episode, I can't not talk about these best ball drafts and there isn't really anybody else that I feel like is as qualified to really speak on the best ball strategy than David himself who wrote that really, really incredible best ball article. So listeners, if you are interested in participating in some of these best ball drafts and you haven't read that article yet, you can find it on the idpshow.com. It is, I cannot express to you how much of a work of art it is. The the graphs, the analysis, I mean, you simulated what, like 15,000 different teams. I forget the exact number, but it was a crap ton. It was a lot of different teams. And, uh, and, the, and the conclusions that you came to were, were pretty impressive. I one of the reasons I liked it, I feel like, is just because it kind of confirmed my biases. But I mean, it's still good information. Uh, I know some people kind of look at that and they kind of think, oh, that's not, you know, that's not really applicable for everything or whatever. They might call you a coward or whatever. But I really do feel like the the content there on your article is is really really impressive. And listeners, if you haven't had a chance to read it yet, I mean, just go dive in and explore it because it is. It is a truly a work of art. But David, it was a it was a blast getting to record this with you. I, I'm looking forward to the next time we get to do a show together and the next draft I get to see you in. And hopefully you snipe me fewer times than you have in the past. But any closing thoughts, man, before we before we get out of this episode, anything coming up perhaps that you wanted to let the listeners know about? Um, I would just want to say that like we so desperately need like an underdog or a drafters or something to support IDP best ball because I would just feel that and not like the combined because that would be fun too. But if we could and, and I mean our the IDP show guys, the Kentucky boys have done like such a great job of this of organizing all these drafts, but it would just be so much better if we had like some best ball mania version of this. That would be so much fun. I my wallet would be complete shambles. I don't know how I would we, be able to could, manage myself. We could draft on streams. We can do all the best ball bits of like, what if this is the guy you need in week 17? Like we just, all of those things would just be open to us. That would be so much fun. That would be, that would be so much fun. Maybe one day IDP is growing. I mean, I don't know what else to say. If you want to really grow the industry, I feel like the way that you do that is, is just by getting out there and putting out fire content. And, and that's what we're trying to do here today is, is continue to grow the IDP industry with with really good content and with some really great people like David here. And if you guys want to read the article, like I said, or check out any of the other stuff that we have coming up, again, theidpshow.com. You can also find the IDP Show Draft Kit, where we have all of the write-ups for every single team, this best ball ADP, Adam's stupidly insane ranks that are just the best in the business. You can find that all at theidpshow.com. If you want to check out David on Twitter, Yes, go for it. I was going to do one more. The I I have to be amiss if I don't shout out the IDP guys Autism Invitational. Yes. So it's a tournament they run every year. You've been in it. Last year we had 12 divisions of 12 teams. I think the year before we had 10. Um, but it's a great time. They're super fun drafts. Uh, 11 offense, 11 defensive starters, short bench. So lots of activity throughout the year. You go to idfeesguys.org, you hover over the about button, and then the link is right there to go sign up. A great event for a great cause. And it was a really fun time participating in that league too. Uh, one of the one of the best places, I feel like, where people can just kind of come in and immediately like get really solid competition in a really exciting way too. And I don't feel like it's 
you know, an, an unfair setup where you just kind of jump in and you're immediately out of your league. I, I feel like the way that it's set up makes it really fun for everyone. So de definitely a worthwhile shout out there too. If you guys want to find David on Twitter, you can find him at DJ Keltown. If you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at IDP Evan. Feel free to tell me that I should stop talking about best ball. I won't listen, but I will appreciate the input. Um, we'll be back next week to, to cover some more interesting topics. But until then, as always, peace out. This was the IDP After Show. <laughs> <laughs>